Before we get started, I wanted to thank Prevail Infoworks, the sponsor of today's podcast. Prevail Infoworks is the only global, full-service, tech-enabled CRO and e-clinical service provider harnessing historical and publication data alongside ongoing study data in real time. Get the most out of your study data and schedule a demonstration of this service for yourself at www.prevailinfoworks.com. And be sure to meet the Prevail team at the Outsourcing Clinical Trials East Coast Conference in May or at their offices in Philadelphia. Again, take a moment and explore their new look website at www.prevailinfoworks.com. Check them out. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Brittany Maynard, a 29-year-old woman with terminal brain cancer who chose to end her own life with a lethal dose of medication, sparked a renewed discussion of so-called death with dignity laws. Maynard had become visible on social and traditional media in her final weeks as she campaigned for legislation now pending in several states. We spoke to Alan Meisel, professor of law and bioethics at the University of Pittsburgh and founder and director of the university's Center for Bioethics and Health Law about the Maynard case, the state of existing and pending legislation, and whether Americans are becoming more willing to discuss the need to balance technological interventions with quality of life issues when considering their own deaths. Alan, thanks for joining us. Glad to be here today. Brittany Maynard, a a 29-year-old woman with terminal brain cancer who had moved to Oregon to avail herself of the state's death with dignity law, died earlier this month. Her social media campaign and, and the death have raised awareness of the issue of death with dignity laws, but do you have any extent sense to what extent it has created public debate and discussion around the issue? Well, there's been public debate and discussion about this issue um, going back as long as you want to go back. Um, Dr. Kevorkian certainly raised the issue in the early 1990s, but if you look in the uh, medical literature, you'll find discussions in the Journal of the American Medical Association in the late 19th, uh, 19th century. So it's not new, and everybody's talking about it, or lots of people are talking about it uh, throughout the decades. However, you get a case like this, and it once again sparks a debate. There have been many people who've said, well, this is really going to change things because she's young, she's attractive, she's right out there in a PR campaign, and this will change things. I don't really think that's the case. I think that this just raises the issue again, keeps it in the public's mind, and that those who wish to legalize uh, physician aid in dying still have a lot of hard work to do. So the language used by advocates around these laws is generally careful and deliberate. I, I, I saw one analysis that noted 
Maynard never used the word suicide, and, and advocates of death with dignity law say suicide is fundamentally different. As a bioethicist, do you, you see someone with terminal illness as doing something fundamentally different than suicide? How, how do you yeah. discuss these issues? Well, I mean, suicide literally means self-killing. So that literally, I suppose it is suicide. But that's not the way we think of it in, uh, in common usage. We tend to think of suicide as somebody's ending their own life because of great despair, uh, great misgivings about something they may have done, and not being able to uh, face up to, uh, to life anymore. Uh, I think that's different in this kind of situation. I think that Brittany Maynard is like many people who are near the end of life. They know that there's a very, very unpleasant future in store for them. And they've seen it in other people. They know how horrible it can be, and they don't want to go through it themselves. And what they're doing is hastening their death. And... We already accept that in many other ways. Frame the issue for us from from an ethical and a legal point of view. What what are the issues? Okay. Well, going back to the mid nineteen seventies with the Karen Ann Quinlan case, we've had a debate going on in this country in the courts, in the legislatures, uh, in the news media. And really, in almost every conceivable form, religious uh, uh, institutions, educational institutions, about end-of-life decisions. And prior to the mid-1970s, there weren't really that many decisions that had to be made. People got sick or they got injured, and they may have lingered for a while, and then they died. Yeah, there were interventions, of course, that could bring them back. But beginning in the 70s with the Karen Quinlan case, we had experienced medical interventions such as a ventilator, which would keep people alive almost indefinitely and not necessarily in a condition that they would want to be in. And I think that's what this debate is all about. It's about quality of life as judged by the patient. And nobody came along to Brittany Maynard and said, you've got a terrible quality of life here, or you're going to have a terrible quality of life. Rather, what she said is, I don't look forward to the quality of life that I expect to have, and I don't want to have that, and I want to avoid it. Now, if she were being kept alive by some kind of medical device, a ventilator, kidney dialysis, or drugs, or something like that, it would be perfectly legitimate for her to authorize the withholding or withdrawal of that treatment and allowing her to hasten her own death passively by withdrawal or withholding of treatment. That is very well accepted everywhere in the United States. Now, that's not to say that you don't sometimes get resistance from family members and from doctors and whatever, but as a legal matter, that's pretty clear. 
But what about the patient like Brittany Maynard, who isn't being kept alive by medical treatment, but who anticipates uh, a quality of life just as bad or maybe even worse than somebody who is being kept alive by uh, medical treatment? So that's what's really sparked the debate about what is sometimes referred to as uh, death with dignity, sometimes referred to as uh, physician aid in dying or medically assisted dying, or sometimes referred to as mercy killing or, uh, or physician assisted suicide. Well, what are the issues here for, for a doctor versus a patient and are there competing interests? Yeah, well, uh, Physician aid in dying, death with dignity, is legal, certainly, in Washington and Oregon. Both states' legislatures passed laws, and the governor signed them, making it legal for a patient to obtain a lethal prescription from a physician and take that lethal prescription if they were terminally ill. Now, one question is, I think an important one is whether or not physicians have to comply with such a request. Because what if a physician is morally opposed to aiding someone, assisting someone in ending their own life? And it's perfectly clear that while the patient may have the right to request the prescription, the doctor has no obligation to write the prescription. In that regard, it's similar to abortion, to which many physicians are morally opposed. And if a patient comes to an uh, obstetrician-gynecologist and requests an abortion, and the doctor is free to say no for any reason whatsoever. And that's true here as well. You mentioned two states. I was under the impression there, there were a few more. How, how many states today have laws that permit physicians to assist patients who want to die, and, okay. and what do those laws allow? Well, right. There are two states that clearly have such laws. Well, let's say three. Uh, in addition to Washington, Oregon, there's Vermont, uh, have passed laws allowing doctors to write a lethal prescription for a patient. Now, note that that's write a lethal prescription. The patient has to decide to take the medication. And it's been frequently the case in Oregon, which has the longest record here, that doctors write a prescription at a patient's request, and the patient doesn't take it. So in a sense, it's an insurance policy that the patient has bought. Just in case things go really badly, I want to have this medication available. So we've got three states with laws on the books. Two other states, New Mexico and Wyoming, have had court decisions that doctors may aid a patient in the same manner. But it's a little bit unclear in New Mexico whether this applies statewide and whether it will get uh, overturned on appeal. And there's always question in Wyoming whether or not the legislature will uh, overrule the court on this matter. So I'm more comfortable saying there's three states where there's definitely a right and two others where there may be. 
And of course, there's been a number of other states in which uh, laws have been uh, put forth and attempted to be passed, which have failed. Uh, the most prominent one, I suppose, is Massachusetts in had a statewide referendum in 2012, uh, which came very close to passing, but did not. Well, my, my sense is there are a number of states, I, I think by my count, seven that have some kind of bills pending in, in some form. Any sense how these bills are faring and how they compare to what's already in place elsewhere? Well, uh, to be honest, I have not read them. Uh, I suspect they're very similar to the uh, Oregon uh, legislation. Washington virtually copied it, made some minor changes uh, in it. Uh, and one of the reasons I haven't read them is because I don't expect that they're going to be particularly successful. There have been bills in the legislature in many states year after year after year, going back at least to 1990 and probably longer than that, attempting to legalize physician aid in dying. And it's it's not so hard to introduce a bill, but it's very, very difficult to get it out of committee and even more difficult to get it passed and then even more difficult to get the governor to sign it. So I'm not optimistic that there's going to be wholesale change overnight. Well, from what I've seen in the United States, there's a real partisan divide around the issue. In general terms, is this something that's seen as morally acceptable to Democrats and that Republicans oppose it because it's violating the sanctity of human life? Is there a common ground to be found? I don't think so. Uh, I'm sure there's been polling on it. I really don't know. Uh, I think that there is a fair amount of objection to uh, – physician aid and dying, even among those who might support re, uh, reproductive uh, rights, uh, legalization of abortion. Uh, this seems to people to be different, especially when a doctor is involved. There's a lot of opposition in the medical profession. However, in every state in which there has been a uh, referendum on the ballot, and I think that's probably about five states, uh, over the last 20 years. When you do the polling, you find out at the very beginning, 75% of the people are in favor and 25% are opposed. As time goes on, it gets much closer to 50-50. Actually, it gets closer to 49 uh, in favor and 51 opposed. And consequently, these have uh, mostly failed, these referendums. Uh, except in uh, in Washington and uh, in Oregon. Any sense what happens uh, to do that? Pardon me? What happens to, to cause that shift? Uh, well, it depends upon how you look at it. Uh, as you get closer to Election Day, the uh, ads, it, it, the volume of advertisements about the subject on television primarily increase tremendously. The opponents pull out big guns towards the end, usually in October if the election's in November, and saturate the airwaves. Now, some might say that they're swaying voters emotionally, but they are also providing information, and voters may just have more information as time goes by, and once they learn more about physician aid and dying, they may decide that they don't think it's such a good idea. 
So I've seen studies that suggest even in the absence of death with dignity laws, physicians have long assisted patients who had terminal illnesses and, and wanted to die. Is there any sense how widespread a practice that is? Uh, not very good. You're right. There are studies on it. There are many studies. Uh, the problem is because it's illegal, doctors are reluctant to talk about it. And I think they're even reluctant in anonymous surveys to admit when they have done it. Because I think the fear is that if it becomes known that this is a fairly uh, frequent practice, that there will be more investigations and they may get themselves in more trouble that way. I don't think it is a frequent practice. I think that the studies indicate that maybe 20% of certain kinds of doctors have participated in dying or hasten the patient's death directly uh, at least once during their lifetime, during their practice. Uh, nurses have been polled on this as well, and sometimes nurses uh, come up uh, as having done this. And as I said, certain specialists usually the specialties dying with uh, dealing with people who are dying cancer patients so oncologists report maybe 20% report that they have done this at one time or another uh critical care physicians but your average physician uh has not by any stretch of the imagination uh, ever participated in this has it been going on for a long time yes I mean, I, I think we can say yes, but we can't say how frequent because of the illegality of the practice. How does the United States compare to other countries? Are, are, are other countries more willing to have these kinds of laws? Is this something that's anathema elsewhere? Well, worldwide, I think the United States is in the overwhelming majority of, of, uh, of countries that do not have laws making uh, physician aid and dying legal. There are, to my knowledge, only two countries that do. One is the Netherlands and the other is Belgium. A third country, Switzerland, uh, tolerates physician aid in dying, but there's no law passed by the, um, by the parliament that makes, it, uh, that makes it legal. There may be one or two other countries of which I'm not aware, I can't recall at this time, uh, where that's the case. But you're talking about a very, very small number. Well, I think Americans have been generally uncomfortable with discussions of death at their own peril. The debates around the Affordable Care Act turned end-of-life counseling into death panels, and yeah. I think that reflects that. Do you see that changing? And if so, what's bringing about that change? And, and if not, is there something that will, particularly in this age where we have the potential for medical technologies to extend life separate from improving the quality of life. Yeah. Uh, I do think there is greater willingness to talk about uh, death, end-of-life decisions uh, today than there was 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. In the early 1960s, the huge debate about whether or not cancer patients should be told they have cancer and whether they were terminally ill. Uh, fortunately, that's primarily behind us. 
What's contributed to the change, you ask? Well, I think there's several factors. Uh, one is a constant drumbeat of uh, people who realize that it can be very inhumane to administer and undignified to uh, administer medical treatment to people who don't want it at the end of their uh, at the end of their life. Um, second, there have been lots of lawsuits in since 1976 with the Karen Quinlan case uh, about this issue, and they have overwhelmingly favored a patient's right to refuse treatment. That's led then not only to court decisions, but to actions by state legislatures to adopt living will laws and health care uh, power of attorney laws by which people can authorize others to make decisions for them and authorize them to end life support. So it's now very well accepted that that's the case. So that law has played a tremendous role in this. Medical education has played a tremendous role too. Doctors are now taught in medical school and in their residencies and fellowships about end-of-life decisions and the rights of individuals to make these decisions and that they are not morally obligated to provide treatment at all costs, especially when the patient refuses. So medical education has been important. Uh, I think the third and in the long run, the most significant development is the aging of the population, hmm. that more and more people face these issues first among their family members, their parents, their grandparents, siblings, aunts and uncles, and then themselves. And people have seen enough bad deaths close up that they're eager not to go through that themselves and willing to first write living wills and healthcare powers of attorney. Second, talk to family members about these things, which used to be sort of taboo. And finally, campaign for changes in the law to allow not only the withholding of treatment, but the active administration uh, of some agent that will end the patient's life. Alan Meisel, Professor of Law and Bioethics at the University of Pittsburgh and founder and director of the University's Center for Bioethics and Health Law. Alan, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here today. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, Subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.